Hello. I'm doing the scripture reading for today. Today we will be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. I'll be reading from the ESV version, but you are welcome to read from whatever version you have. And so let us uh, read together. Uh, sorry, not, not together. I'll, I'll be reading for you. Okay. So Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the reading of his word. All right. Hello, everyone, again. Good morning. Uh, I am Pastor Paul. I'm one of the pastors of our church. Glad that you can join us here in person or online. And um, we are currently doing uh, various um, topics uh, during the summer. Uh, nothing uh, too uh, sequential or too specific to a uh, overall topic or a series, but we're just going through different passages, different topics in the Word of God, and today is about spiritual battle or the unseen battle because it is not a physical battle, but it is a cosmic battle, as Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians. And so uh, we're glad that you're here once again. If you're visiting, we especially want to give you a warm welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you're online, again, welcome for, to, uh, you're welcome here as well, and thank you for joining us here today, and our hope is that the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, will move in our hearts, and that is why we join together at the church each week to worship Him. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help reveal His mighty, powerful, and inerrant Word of God to us here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your truth, Your Word. Lord, may it come into our hearts with uh, a mighty power, that we would experience it, know it, and that we would be convicted of our sins, and that we would draw closer to you, O oh God, and realize more and more who you are and what Jesus has done for us. So God, we humbly come before you, knowing that we are sinful, that we do not want to hear your word oftentimes, and that there are cosmic forces at play so, Lord, we pray for your spirit to move powerfully, that you would allow your grace and your spirit to move in our hearts, that your gospel would speak to us here today, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this topic uh, is something that I preached on a few years ago. Actually, it's been, I think, four years now. It was in 2018. And so uh, it was a while ago that we last visited this passage and topic, but... It's not something that we talk about very often here at our church, at least, and I thought it'd be good for us to revisit this topic of the spiritual battle, the, the topic of the devil and Satan. And I know that many of us know 
what Satan is or know the concept of the devil. And we know that at the very least, it is something we see in the Bible, in the scriptures. But perhaps uh, we don't emphasize it as much here as some other churches or preachers might do in other places or other churches. However, I want to be the first, uh, not the first one ever, but the first one here right now to say that we do believe that the evil one is present in this world, that the devil is present, the devil is real, Satan is real, uh, his uh, demons are real, and we are in this spiritual battle currently that Paul speaks of. And our passage really makes it very clear for us, uh, this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians. And uh, I want to read verse 12 for us again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so... Right before this, it says we stand against the schemes of the devil. And so we see the devil, we see spiritual battle, we see spiritual forces of evil. It sounds like a comic book, right? But Paul here makes it very clear that this is something that is very, very real. And Paul in the book of Ephesians is giving encouragement to the church in Ephesus about understanding the blessings that they have received in Jesus Christ, our reconciliation with God because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, and how all of creation is ultimately reconciled to God through Christ. Then, the latter parts of the book, he goes on to explain the blessings that we have received, like being made alive in Christ, and how Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. And at the very end, we now see how the church is to walk together with all these truths in mind, with reconciliation in mind, with being made alive in Christ and being one in Christ, and how now we are to walk together as a church with these blessings that Christ has given us. And we see the practical implications about family, how we are to raise our children, how we are to interact with those that we work for. And at the very end, chapter 6 is the last chapter of the letter, talks about spiritual battle because Paul knows the realities of the Christian life and that the church, that we as Christians will face dark spiritual forces and we're going to need to face this battle together. Now, for some of you, this might sound foolish, but the word of God is clear and it says it is very real. Satan is real. And this is an unseen battle going on in this world. And the sooner we realize the battle is happening, the better we are in the long run. You know, our society, modern culture and society, has tried to explain away spiritual evil and darkness with scientific evidence in many ways. They say they are, there are genetic causes to the dysfunctions that we see, the dysfunctions of our brain is what leads to people becoming sociopaths or psychopaths. But we have realized now especially that that type of thinking is wearing thin. And it is getting harder and harder to explain all the evil that, is, that exists in our world. 
And in modern philosophy, they believed, oh, we just need to be cultured. We need to be civilized. That's all we need for us to not be so barbaric and evil. You know, that's those old ancient times. They didn't know any better. They were not civilized now. We have science to teach us. But you can argue that the Germans in the 1930s and 40s were the most educated and civilized society. But they also committed one of the most heinous evils in the world that we have ever witnessed in the Holocaust. Let me read an excerpt for us from an article written by a church planting missionary. And once you read or hear what she experienced, it will help you understand the reality of this unseen spiritual battle. Let's read this together. After a few months on our mission field, a post-communist dead atheist, atheistic region, my family and I were reeling from shock. No, not culture shock, though there, were, there was plenty of that. It was a shock of coming face to face with demonic forces beyond our comprehension. Numerous strange events transpired. Leaders of urine poured onto our, our stroller. Blood spat, splattered into our apartment door. A small hole drilled into our front door, indicating a planned break-in. The hole is used to insert a small probe camera. Much sickness, poor sleep, and even sensing an evil presence in our bedroom. At first, we thought we might be imagining uh, things, but the horrid climax was the nightmares that tormented our son, our two-year-old son. For many months, he'd wake up screaming bloody murder, and we could not easily, easily settle him back down. At two and a half, he was finally able to verbalize what he'd been dreaming about for the past few months. One of his most vivid dreams was about a woman with black hair and red eyes who wore only a bra and black pants and would offer him a basket of rotten fruit and force him to eat. His nightmare was X-rated, not a typical toddler being chased by a bear dream. This is an obvious example of the evil one tormenting this missionary family. And oftentimes in these settings in the mission field, we see this spiritual battle happening much more so, obviously, because there are not many Christians there. The population is consciously or unconsciously worshiping a false god. And Satan does not want people to be rescued out of that darkness. So Satan uses what, is, what some people call demonic bullying to frustrate and harass us as believers. But let's not be mistaken. Let's not get it twisted. The evil one is not just lurking in these type of places where God is not present among the people. Well, he is present, but the people do not hear it or feel it. The evil one is lurking right here, in this place right now. You know, all of these philosophies or scientific ideas cannot explain why the world is as evil as it is. But the Bible and Christianity deals with this head on. So I don't want to get into all the details of how angels have fallen. We're not going to get into all that because they exercised their free will and turned away from God. You know, all these questions you may have about these things, uh, how the devil came into existence, how demons came to exist, uh, that's not what I want to emphasize today. My main point today, my main purpose of this message, to show that this battle is real. If we do nothing in response 
to the evil one, if we do not even acknowledge that the evil one is there, then our hearts, our minds will easily become imprisoned by the evil one, will be imprisoned by the works of the devil. So how does Satan influence our hearts and mind? How does the evil one make you believe in his lies? Now, there are a lot of ways the evil one attacks us and puts these false and evil thoughts into our minds, but it can mainly be categorized in two ways. Now, I get a lot of this from other pastors and commentaries, uh, especially uh, Tim Keller and David Platt. They have a lot of good stuff on uh, evil, evil forces and spiritual battle, and you can look that stuff up on your own if you want. But I want to share two main ways the evil one lies to us, and it is through accusations and temptations. Accusations and temptations. So the devil or Satan accuses and tempts us to believe in his lies. And let's go through what that means for a little bit for us. Well, first, Satan accuses us of being worse than we actually are. He basically rips up the word of God out of our hearts And what I mean by this is Satan will tell you lie upon lie upon lie, telling you that God doesn't love you because of some sin you may have committed. You can't come to church ever again. Everyone's going to judge you and be disappointed in you and scold you and make you feel horrible. And you are unworthy of forgiveness. No one loves you anymore. God doesn't love you anymore. His grace and forgiveness is not good enough for you because what you've done is so bad and you're not even deserving of it. When Satan accuses you like this, he's taking the word of God out of your heart. He's speaking lies to you because all of these things I just said, they're all lies. They're not true. God indeed does love you. God indeed does forgive you. Yes, you may be a sinful and horrible person. We all are. And a Bible-believing church, no matter what, should love even, even though we've all made mistakes. No matter what mistakes you have made, as long as you are seeking forgiveness, as long as you want to be forgiven and you want to turn away, the purpose of this is so that you lose your faith in Christ and his word. Mark 4, 15 says, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which was sown in them. He does this so that you no longer have faith in God. Satan's goal is to destroy people, basically to lead them away from God, because that is what leads to destruction for us. So he will accuse you to think that you are worse than you actually are. So that's accusation. The other way Satan lies to us is he tempts us. He tempts us to think that our sins are not that bad and that God's holiness and his plan for us is not that good. That is what we see in the story of Adam and Eve where Eve was tempted by the serpent who was Satan, tempted to think that God is forbidding you to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, right? He doesn't know what's best for you. He's just wanting you to not have what's best for you. That is what Satan is doing 
is tempting Eve and Adam to do. He doesn't want you to be like him. God is prohibiting you because God doesn't want you to have something that he has. God doesn't want you to have it. The evil one tempts in this way, tempts them to see that God's holiness and God's plan for you is not that good. It's not that great, not that appealing. Satan blinds us, blinds our minds and hearts from seeing the truth that God is indeed great, that God is indeed good, that he has what's best for us in mind. That's why the evil one tempts us away from this, to sin against him, and to sin in many different ways. So think of the ways that you were tempted to sin, where the evil one has pressed that button upon you that will get you over that edge to commit that sin. And a lot of times these things are subtle. A lot of times we justify our actions, justify our sinful actions. And here are some examples of why or the ways we are tempted that may help us to pinpoint the ways in which the evil one tempts us. So one is we rationalize our sins. We, we say to ourselves, no, I'm not a bad guy, right? I'm not that bad. That guy is worse than me, right? You know, I, I just steal candy or soda. It's like a dollar. No, he works at a million-dollar company. He steals from poor people. He takes millions of dollars from poor people. What he does is so much worse than what I do. I'm noble. I'm good. Oh, I, I might, you know, steal little things here and there. But no, what that guy does, that's truly wrong and evil. We rationalize. We compare. Another way we do this is by fooling ourselves into thinking that our sinfulness is actually virtuous, that's actually good that we're doing. You know, for example, we think we're good with our money and we save a lot of it. And we have a good retirement plan. And, you know, that sounds good. Right? Oh, yeah, you're being smart. You know, you're, you're planning for retirement. But in reality, we're just cheap. We don't want to be generous. Instead of wanting to give to the church, to others, no. We'd rather go do what we want to do, spend money on ourselves, and say that we're, oh, we're planning for retirement. I want a good 401k, you know? I'm, I'm frugal, you know? I'm not cheap. These are the things that we say to ourselves. And... That's one way that we rationalize our sins. And the devil is tempting you to sin in this way. When we think of ourselves, that we think we're better, we're doing virtuous things, when in fact we are lying to ourselves. And the evil one is tempting us to rationalize these things. Another thing could be like, oh, my family is the most important thing to me. You know, my family is super important. And that sounds virtuous and noble to put your family first to do everything for the family, but you forget the word of God says, actually, it's not your family first. It's God first. You don't neglect your family. You take care of your family. You love your family. Ultimately, it is God first. God, serving God before comes before anything else. We rationalize. Another example is we look at short-term 
and forget of the long term. We look at the short-term pleasures and we forget the long-term miseries that come with the short-term pleasures. Another way to think about it is we look at the short-term miseries and forget the long-term joy that we have in Christ. So the evil one tempts us to think that the short-term pleasures are what will satisfy us and make us happy. We think that these short-term pleasures will give us joy. We think being in these relationships will give us happiness. We think dating will make us happy, right? Having someone to, to be with, to talk to, to text with all day, we think that's so great and special, even if they might not even be a good person, even if they're a liar, even if they're cheating on you, even if they're not godly in any way, shape, or form. But we don't care. We think stupidly, oh, I can change him. You know, he can change. But we fool ourselves. The the evil one tempts us in this way. You know, we think that these relationships will satisfy us. We think that it'll make us feel better. But in the long run, we know that this will lead to ruin and misery. This can't last. There are long-term consequences to this that we just cannot see. And a lot of times, sooner or later, we realize this mistake and we think to ourselves, how could we have ever thought this? But it's because the evil one fools us to think that this is true. He clouds, the ju- he clouds our judgment. He blinds us for seeing how bad it really is to seek these short-term pleasures. And on the other side, we become blinded by our short-term miseries, our suffering. Some of us may feel like we are going through a lot of suffering. We feel like we've suffered enough. We feel like God has, I mean, not God, but life has given us way too many wounds and bruises, and we feel like it's time for God now to stop this in our lives and finally give us what we deserve. Right? I'm a Christian. I, I believe in God. I'm part of the family of God. Why isn't God blessing me, showering me with his grace and love? Why isn't he giving me joy and happiness? And this is how some of you may feel. You may feel bitter towards God. You may feel angry. But we forget in the midst of that anger and bitterness and the suffering that God has promised something better for us. And we doubt his promises. And we doubt that God is good. The evil one is taking away our faith and our belief in who God is and placing these lies in us and tempting us to turn away from him. He takes this evil thought already inside of us and he magnifies it, puts that at the forefront of our mind. And all you can think about is how God has wronged you, how God has failed to answer your prayer, or where is God? And all you feel and all you think is that life isn't going your way. And you forget about the most important thing, that Christ has promised you everything you need, that Christ has given you the most important blessing that we could ever receive in salvation, eternal life. And all we can see is how terrible our life is now. This is how Satan tempts us. He tempts us to despair. He takes a hold of these evil thoughts and sinful thoughts that we have takes a hold of our anger, 
of our pride, of our bitterness, of our greed, and he magnifies them, puts those things at the very forefront so that we believe that God doesn't love us. God doesn't care for us. There are so many better things than God, so many more important things than God. My career, my family, my future. All these things seem to take precedent over God. And what is worse, and this is when we know, we really know the evil one has a hold of us, is we fool ourselves into thinking that we are actually putting God first. We think, oh, I go to church. I take communion. I'm nice, generally. I like spending time with church people. But in reality, there's nothing else that you do that shows that you're a Christian. There's no commitment. You don't serve in any way. You don't live like a Christian in any other part of your life. There's nothing that you do for the kingdom of God. You don't share the gospel. You don't prioritize spending time with God at home. You don't really care that much about what God says in his word and about the church and his people and the saving of souls. We think we put God first, but in reality, we don't. This is how the devil works and how he places these lies in our hearts. The work of the devil is real. But there is one warning. We should not overstress or understress the work of the devil. We can't attribute all our evil thoughts and all our evil desires to the devil. At the same time, we can't say that the devil has no effect on our thoughts and our minds and our desires. You know, if you're a charismatic tradition or a Pentecostal tradition, you may have a tendency to say, oh, everything is because of the devil. Right? You have a cold like coughing a little bit. Oh, the devil has cursed you. You've been cursed. You need the cleansing fire of the Holy Spirit. But no, not every cold or sickness or illness from the devil. And if you're on the other side, if you're maybe Reformed or Baptist, where our church leans towards, you tend to give no credit to the devil. It's like the devil doesn't even exist. And we just blame our sinfulness for everything. Well, we need to find a balance between these two sides because in reality, the devil does exist and he's working against us and he plays a major role in the evils of this world. But it's also because of our sinfulness that we fall into sin and we fall into temptation and we go against what God commands. The evil one plays on those evil feelings and thoughts and he takes hold of us. So instead of being imprisoned by these thoughts from the devil, how can we in turn be freed from them? That is the question for us. How can we be freed from them and seek to obey Christ? How can we win this battle? Well, first, it's a basic but important thing that we actually stress here all the time, but it's that we are to trust in the strength of the Lord. Verse 10 of our passage says, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We are not to trust in our own strength. We trust in the Lord, the strength of God, putting on the whole armor of God. And that's the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. See that a little later on in Ephesians, in this passage. 
And so we don't go into battle on our own, but instead we put on this armor because it is, because it is only by the strength of God that we can overcome the lies, overcome the temptations, the schemes of the evil one. And we're not going to go into great detail about the armor of God, but to summarize the armor of God, it is about trusting in Christ. Trusting in Christ and believing in the gospel. It is holding on to the truth and his promises, having faith in him and his salvation for us, allowing his righteousness to be our righteousness, and how this gospel gives us peace in Christ. And all of this is revealed in his word, his mighty word, which is the sword of the Holy Spirit that allows us to fight off the evil one. We have Jesus. We have the the truth of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. His death and resurrection is gloriously victorious over sin, death, and Satan. It is a definitive victory that we have. That doesn't mean the, the the evil one is not lurking. He is working. He is prowling. He is working to lead us, against, lead us uh, away from the Lord. And this battle is ongoing. But we have victory when we trust in Christ. And so we still continue to battle on for the souls of those who do not know Christ. But we, as Christians are still supposed to hold on to this truth so that the evil one will not lead us away. The truth that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So when the evil one accuses us, we can say, I have Christ who is my advocate. He is the one who pleads for all, for me and all of my sin, and I have Christ who has died for me. So now Satan no longer has a hold of me. So when James 4, 7, when he says this, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, we are to believe this as brothers and sisters. You can resist the devil and he will flee. When you resist, he will flee. When you believe in the victory of Jesus, he will flee. He no longer has a hold on you. The task for us now is to live in this victory and proclaim that Satan has been defeated. So how do we do that? It's going to say one thing, one key thing for us that we see in our passage, and that is prayer, the power of prayer. Verse 18, a little bit after our passage for today, is we see, we, see, we see this after the armor of God is lifted out. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul says to pray at all times, and specifically to pray for one another, that none of us would fall prey to the works of the devil. Paul even asks prayer for himself, that he would be bold to proclaim the truth of the gospel. When we pray for one another, how often, how often do we do pray in this way? I think oftentimes when we pray for one another, we pray for each other's prayer requests, some sufferings we may go through that God would overcome 
those sufferings in us and, and help us to lead us into his grace. But when do we pray for us to be led away from temptation, that we would not walk in the ways of the evil one, that our hearts would turn away from our sinfulness and turn towards God? Pray that the evil one would not take hold of us. Do we pray in this way for ourselves or for one another? Let us pray in this way, brothers and sisters. Jesus himself is an example of, of this. He, he does this himself. He, he prays for Peter in Luke 22 when he says to Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus gives this example for us, how to oppose the threats of Satan with prayer. And that is crucial for us to understand what, this is, ha- what is happening here in this spiritual battle, to understand that this truly is a battle, and it's not going to be easy. And I hope we, we realize this. This is not easy. The, the enemy, the evil one, is smarter than us. He is more clever. He knows the word of God better than us. He knows the scriptures far better than us. But he, and he knows who Jesus is. He doesn't believe in what Jesus has done for us, but he knows Jesus. And we have no chance to beat Satan on our own. Zero chance. We cannot will it. And the consequences are death. They're catastrophic. It costs us our lives when we fall into the hands of the devil. And our most powerful tool is indeed prayer. Jesus prayed in the face of temptation. See that in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. The only way for us to defeat the devil is through prayer. And and John Piper calls prayer a wartime walkie-talkie. It is war. Remember, prayer is not about God speaking to us. I think oftentimes that's what we try to do when we pray. We pray for God to speak to us. Of course, we pray for the Word to speak to us and His Spirit to work in our hearts. And God may give you some sign or some thought during prayer, but prayer is not all about God giving us a sign and communicating to us in that way or having some conversation with God. The purpose of God is, the purpose of prayer is to come to God, to cry out to God, to bring forth our sufferings, our desires to Him according to His will, and He answers according to His will as well. Pray for God to hear us, and He hears us. He does hear us. He hears our moans, our cries, our needs, our hearts. And so that's what we do when we pray. We cry out to God. And we pray with urgency when we pray to God, with a deep sense of needing Him, because that's what we do when we pray. We say that we need God. Prayer is us saying we need Him. We need Him to work in us, to change us, to help us. You know, when you're in war and calling in for reinforcements, you're not calling in for backup like, uh, hey, uh, you know, we're getting bombed. Can you guys, you know, if you have the time, can, can you please hurry up and come? Like, you, know, we're, you know, we're just getting killed, but, you know, just letting you know. 
No, we, pray, we, we do it with urgency. And we say, mayday, mayday. That is what a wartime walkie-talkie is. This is what our prayers should be to God, a sense of urgency. And I'm not saying we need to yell and scream when we pray. No, God hears our hearts. Do we have the sense of urgency in our hearts when we pray to him? Surrendering to God, asking him to help us, saying that we need him. We're not just praying because, oh, I need to pray every morning or, you know, during, you know, before meals or whatever. But do we pray with, with knowing that God is hearing us, that he answers us in prayer? Maybe not audibly. That's not how God oftentimes speaks to us. But he hears us and he answers all of our prayers. And if we want to overcome our temptations, overcome the lies of the devil and be free from them and want to be obedient to Christ, prayer is necessary. So focus on praying, brothers and sisters. Reflect on your personal struggles with sin when you pray. Think about the ways in which the evil one lies to you and ask for God to help you to hear the truth. And pray for one another. Pray that none of us would be led into sin. That the devil would not take hold of any of us here. That we would not be fed lies to think that other things are more important in our lives. But to make Christ our priority. Pray for one another. Pray that God will work in us so that the evil one does not take hold of our hearts. That we would trust in him no matter what happens in our lives cry out to God that he would make us more Christ-like in who we are. That our communities and our church would be more Christ-like. So let's close this time uh, just with a couple minutes of prayer on our own. I thought we could take this opportunity to do so right now. So please bow your heads with me. Come before God Let's ask him to give us this commitment to have focused prayer, this urgent prayer, so that we can resist the devil and that we can follow Christ, live for him, be obedient to his word, so that we don't believe in the lies, that we don't believe in the accusations, that we are not tempted to rationalize our sins, not tempted to think that the short-term joys will be better than the long-term miseries. Let's pray that God would help us, work in us, lead in us, and pray for one another as well, that all of us here at Cornerstone would follow Christ, live for him in all that we do. Let's take a minute on our own to pray, and I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that, God, we are in this battle. It's an unseen battle where, Lord, we are 
tempted, where we are accused. And God, we believe in the lies. We believe it every day. We believe that we're unworthy. We believe that you won't love us. We believe that there are other things that are better than you. God, help us. Open our minds and hearts to see the ways in which the evil one is working. God, help us to pray. And pray continuously. Because, Lord, this is a continuous battle that will continue on till we meet you in heaven. So, God, give us urgency in our prayer. Help us to realize more and more of our sinfulness, more and more of the ways the, the devil lies to us so that we can believe in the truth, believe in the promises of Scripture, point to the Word of God that is the sword of the Holy Spirit that shows us what you really say, that you love us, you care for us, that the, the gospel of Jesus is victorious over sin, that we can overcome our sins when we trust in Christ. God, help us to believe in that truth. Believe and what you have done through your Son. Heavenly Father, we, we need you and your Holy Spirit to work in us. Lord, the evil one works in these mysterious, these, these uh, uh, quiet ways, these stealthy ways. So God, we know that we need to be that much more heightened, heightenedly aware of what is going on in our hearts and minds. So help us to be aware. Help us to know. And God, that ultimately this would lead us to love you more, to honor you more, to be more obedient to Christ and his word, and to give worship to you, to glorify you, to declare that you are everything to us. God, help us here today to know this, believe this, understand this more, and ultimately help Help us by your spirit to, to realize it and to turn away. Turn away and turn to you. Turn to your truth. Turn to your grace. God, we need you. We need you here in our hearts, in our minds. Be with us here at Cornerstone. Thank you, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.